You're listening to a CNA podcast. Twelve years after a 9.1 magnitude quake struck off the coast of Japan, water that was used to cool damaged nuclear reactors in Fukushima is now back in the ocean. For most of us, that raises one question. Can I still eat sushi from the country? Well, if you've wondered or worried about that, then you want to listen to this episode. Japan could begin releasing treated radioactive water from the Fukushima Daiichi nuclear power plant as soon as this Thursday. Officials say the water is safe, but not everyone's buying it. One person who has visited Fukushima several times since the disaster is CNA correspondent Michio Ishida. She joins me to talk about how closely officials are monitoring the discharge and what it will take to get the tide of public opinion to change. Hi, Michio. Hi, Teresa. Fukushima, it's become synonymous with the nuclear meltdown since the quake 12 years ago. You have been to the prefecture many times covering assignments. Can you tell us what it's like? Do you feel safe when you set foot on the soil there? Well, to give you a description of what Fukushima prefecture is like, it's the third largest Japanese prefecture. And east to west, it's about 166 kilometers. So there's a vast area unaffected by the triple disasters of March 2011. But much of the coastal area within 10 kilometers from the Fukushima Daiichi nuclear power plant is still uninhabitable, especially the area where there are forests. Those areas have been not been decontaminated contaminated thoroughly or not at all. So it's not safe to stay there for a long period. There's the inland area about 30 kilometers from the plant, which is still not livable. And that's the area at the time the reactors blew up in 2011. The wind was blowing in that direction. That's the northeastern direction. And high-level radiation traveled by wind and accumulated on the soil. And many actually evacuated in that direction from near the plant. And that was a mistake, but no one knew that the radiation particles were carried in that direction. Mm -hmm. So that area, Namie Town and parts of Idate are still uninhabitable. How would you describe the morale of locals there? At one point, I know 164,000 Fukushima residents had to abandon their homes. Rebuilding definitely hasn't been an easy process. And does this water discharge add another layer to that struggle? Okay, let me introduce you to a survey. It's the Social Survey Research Center, Saitama University-linked firm that released a survey recently on September 3rd. It's a nationwide one. And according to its survey, it says that 80% support the disposal of treated wastewater into the Pacific Ocean from Fukushima Daiichi. And this includes those who think there's no other choice Now, among Fukushima residents, the view is more divided. There are those who told me that they believe in science. And with a third party investigating, that's the IAEA, the International Atomic Energy Agency, they believe in what TEPCO and IAEA, the government, saying. And also, there's another group of people hosting the nuclear plant in their towns and villages and those who live nearby. They have been receiving subsidy from TEPCO. So these people say they really cannot complain. 
As we speak, Mitch, thousands of liters of treated wastewater is being pumped into the ocean through an underwater pipe. And Fukushima operator TEPCO, they recently invited members of the media to witness the discharge firsthand. What was that experience like? What did you see? Well, TEPCO definitely wanted to show that they're being transparent of the whole procedure. It's scientifically proven. And they asked us to disperse the message to the world that the water discharge was safe. So they showed us the pipes through which treated water is transported, the checkpoints, how they're mixed with seawater, the point they actually take sample of the mixed water. And TEPCO explained that the water is also tested by the Japan Atomic Energy Agency and the IAEA. And they showed us how the whole process of the water discharge was monitored, and it's 24 hours a day with nine trained workers on shifts. And they told us that if anything does go wrong, they assured us that they will immediately stop the discharge. In your TV report, you're wearing a mask, uh, goggles, a helmet, and you also mentioned that no entry signs that typically lead to the plant have actually been drastically reduced, so clearly efforts to allay fears. TEPCO says they had no other option than to release this treated wastewater, right? They were running out of space. Exactly. Well, contaminated water continues to accumulate from uh, cooling the fuel rods. Contaminated water accumulates until the decommissioning of the plant, which TEPCO says will take 30 to 40 years. There's also rainwater accumulating, and TEPCO says that the 98% of the space is full. And by next year, there will be no more space to store accumulating water. So, and they also need space to build new structures to store the fuel rods removed from the reactors. And without doing all that, the commissioning process cannot be completed. So, the disposing accumulated wastewater is crucial. Now, TEPCO has been telling us about the backing of, from the IAEA for disposing the wastewater. It contains tritium, which is an isotope of hydrogen, which cannot be removed from water. The IAEA has been saying that disposing water with tritium is a practice of nuclear power plants around the world. If you compare numbers, the amount of tritium discharged from nuclear plants in South Korea, China, for example, is much higher than that which is being released from Fukushima. But then there is the risk that if there's another huge tsunami, you know, I posed that question to TEPCO's risk communicator, Keisuke Matsuo. This area is 2.5 meters above sea level. If a big tsunami strikes, damage is possible. As soon as a tsunami warning is released, we will stop the wastewater to minimize any impact. Hello everyone, my name is Crispina. And I'm Adrian. And we're the hosts of a podcast called Work It. If you've never heard of it, well, it's a good time to tap in. In the last 20 episodes, we've discussed topics like how to negotiate for a salary increase. Or how to get along with younger colleagues who have different values from you, which incidentally is our top performing episode. If work consumes your life and you want some perspective on issues like management, stress, even office romance, then this podcast should be on your list. A new episode drops every Monday. Catch us on the CNA app or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you. 
There are many publicly supporting Fukushima, though, as well, including U.S. Ambassador to Japan, Rahm Emanuel. He visited a city in the prefecture where he ate a seafood lunch with the mayor. And then you've also got surfers. They took to the waves about 20 kilometers from the plant to say, hey, look, the water's safe. Yes, I believe you're referring to LDP lawmaker Shinjiro Koizumi, who was former environment minister, and he's known as the son of former prime minister Junichiro Koizumi. He was there in early September surfing with children. And after he finished with his surfing, he also consumed local fish. Actually, Prime Minister Fumio Kishida, his cabinet ministers, had a lunch with Fukushima sashimi on his plate. Mm -hmm. And he showed that he was enjoying his lunch in front of media. So all these politicians are trying to show to people that it's safe. And I have to ask you, Mitch, when you were in Fukushima, did you have any fears or reservations about having seafood there? And when you were at the Daiichi plant, were you scared? You know, I've been eating sashimi in Fukushima from time to time, and I am not worried for a reason. It's because all marine catch in Fukushima is screened. They choose a fish from a batch and it goes to a screening center, uh, run it through a screening machine, and if it measures above 50 becquerel per kilogram, it is banned from being sold. The national safety standard is double that, or 100 becquerels, and the world standard is 1,000. So, you know, because of this, I am quite confident what we consume in Fukushima is perhaps one of the safest in the world. And also Mm -hmm. being inside the nuclear plant, well, I've been there twice before this time round. Mm -hmm. And twice before, I was actually walking near the crippled units one and four. This time I was near five and six, which were not damaged by the big tsunami. So in that sense, I was not afraid. And I was also carrying a dosimeter. And it showed that I was not affected by the radiation there. Mm, Fascinating. The day the discharge began, which was August 24th, my co-host, Steve Lai, we interviewed an expert during our news bulletin who told us a line that I can't forget. I'll remember it for a long time to come. And that line is that dilution is not the solution to pollution. And some say that this mixing of seawater with the contaminated water is just not good enough. It's not safe enough. Is that something that locals in the area who are earning a living from the water are saying too? Well, Teresa, let me first mention what IAEA's um, chief, Rafael Grossi, had told um, the media. What he said was, without diluting, there's only 16 grams of tritium in more than a million tons of water. And he called that the Japanese method of diluting is a hyper-conservative approach. So the diluting method is seen as a measure to dispel worries and reputational damage. But still, fishermen in the Fukushima area, they're unhappy with the discharge. They suspect that radioactive materials are accumulating in the seabed. And they do say that sometimes the radiation level in the fish in their catch spikes, and it's detected through the screening. And it's only in 2019 that one of the fishing ports closest to the plant, or about 40 kilometers from the plant, began to catch fish to sell. And the volume of fish they can catch this year is only about 18, 1-8% of what it used to be. And they are afraid of wastewater from the plant disposed will cause the fish not to be sold again. Now, here's more from Akira Egawa, who is the chairman of the Iwaki Fisheries Cooperatives. This is what he told me. 
The discharge will mean trouble for us. We will not be able to earn a livelihood. We will not be able to attract successes. We are receiving subsidies from the government. We are thankful for that. But we are against the discharge into the sea. And frustration not just at home, but abroad as well. China has called the release extremely selfish. They imposed a ban on all seafood imports from Japan. And then you have South Koreans. They took matters into their own hands and they boycotted products and traveled to Japan too. Michio, how deep is the diplomatic fallout from this? Well, we know that Prime Minister Fumio Kishida is taking every opportunity where he meets world leaders to explain, based on science, about the discharge of wastewater. This includes to Prime Minister Mark Brown of the Cook Islands, who represents the Pacific Islands this year, South Korean President Yoon Suk-yeol. Mr. Kishida has been explaining to him numerous times, and he's been approving, you know. And But of course, um, he wants this monitoring to continue. Japan has actually accepted South Korean parliamentarians to inspect the plant itself. But we are aware that there are South Korean opposition party members who are very much strongly opposed to discharge. The biggest importer of Japanese marine products, Hong Kong, slapped import ban on a fish from 10 Japanese prefectures, including Tokyo. Mainland China has um, slapped ban on all Japanese fish products. There's been at least hundreds of phone calls prank calls, as we call it, from country code 86 to restaurants, shops in and around Fukushima, disrupting their business. I know a French restaurant in Tokyo that has also received this prank call from uh, number 86. Hold on. What do these prank calls involve? They criticize Japan for discharging oh. this water and to stop it immediately. And these calls are in Japanese and in Chinese and sometimes incomprehensible uh, Japanese. So these are the calls that have been being made. And, you know, this is actually the Japan-China Friendly Ties 45th anniversary year. And uh, the two countries were intending to celebrate, but the mood is not right for this, definitely. Mm-hmm. At the end of last year, Japan decided to extend the life of nuclear reactors to replace even build new ones. And this tells us, Michio, that the phasing out of atomic power in Japan is not going to happen anytime soon. What are sentiments today around nuclear energy 12 years after Fukushima? Where is Japan headed? Well, after the 2011 triple disasters, many people here in Japan were against nuclear power, seeing the seriousness of the impact of its fallout. But Japan, realistically speaking, is natural resource scarce. And to make up for the loss of 30% of power that nuclear power plants were generating before the fallout, is restarted environmentally unfriendly old coal power plant. Still, Tokyo residents are constantly being reminded to conserve energy because there's not enough to go around. Mm-hmm. And as the years pass since the nuclear accident, public opinion polls are showing that more support the restart of nuclear power. Now, Prime Minister Kishida has reversed Japan's nuclear power policy to extend the operation of the life of reactors to 60 years. So that's what's happening currently. And to endorse the construction of new ones. And I did actually speak to a plant manufacturer, and I was told that it's training skilled workers in virtual space to prepare to build new plants. Hmm. 
Back to Fukushima, we know the wastewater discharge is just started. It's going to take about three decades. What does TEPCO say about the continued monitoring of this process over the years? Well, according to TEPCO's plans, after the wastewater storage space is cleared of these tanks with accumulated water, TEPCO wants to build a structure to transport fuel rods and that's to store fuel rods in the reactors, but they have no idea when the removal will actually take place. Mm -hmm. The technology to remove fuel debris, the melted fuel, is not there yet. It's still in the procedure of developing this new technology, and it has to be done remotely because inside these reactors, the radiation level is fatally high, and experts that I've been hearing are saying that the decommissioning process, which Tepoco says will take up to 30 to 40 years, is going to take much, much longer than that. And IAEA is actually promising to be their president. They already have an office at the site in Fukushima Daiichi. And they say that if they detect a problem, they will talk to Tepco and to the government and to deal with the situation properly. So um, that is how things are expected to go. And no doubt it's a story you will continue to follow for us on CNA. Thank you so much for joining me today, Michio. Thank you for having me, Teresa. The TV version of CNA Correspondent airs on CNA every Wednesday at 9.30 p.m. Catch up with them anytime on cna.asia. The team behind this episode is Saya Wynn, Clara Ong, Crispina Robert, and me, Teresa Tang. Until next time.